So this was one of the critical aspects of the ZoneMD protocol is that everyone who either calculates the digest or verifies the digest has to agree on exactly what goes into the hash function. ZoneMD reuses DNSSEC canonicalization, as you said, both for, for the names, the owner names, and the other fields, the sorting order of the records. ZoneMD borrows heavily from DNSSEC to make that possible. You're listening to Ping, a podcast by AP Nick discussing all things related to measuring the internet. I'm your host, George Michelson. This time, I'm talking again to Dwayne Wessels from VeriSign. Dwayne co-authored RFC 8976, which defines a zone message digest record. This was published back in February 2021. Dwayne worked on this RFC along with Pete Barber, who's also from VeriSign, Matt Weinberg from Amazon, Warren Kamari from Google, and Wes Hardiker from ISI. ZoneMD is a mechanism for creating a signed checksum over a given state of a DNS zone. It's going to help change how we understand and trust zone state. It's going into production at VeriSign and soon will be added as a record to the root zone with a planned deployment in September of this year. This is going to allow people who follow the state of the root zone, perhaps to provide a trusted source of locally served root or for other purposes, to verify what they fetch no matter how they do it. Dwayne, welcome back to Ping. Thanks, George. It's good to be here. So, this time, we're going to be talking about a reasonably new RFC that you were involved in, the Message Digest for DNS Zones, or ZoneMD. Yes, ZoneMD. I, I like that you call it uh, recent, but I guess we'll get into that a little bit later because it's been going on for a while now. Yeah. So, can you just do the one-sentence summary. What is the idea behind doing a digest over an entire zone? Sure, yeah. So the digest over a whole zone is designed to provide somebody who receives the zone some assurance that they got the right thing. They got the whole zone. They got it correctly. Nothing was missing. Nothing was changed. So it's a checksum or a message digest over the zone content. Now, ordinary DNS is a question-answer protocol. And for most people, it's about ask one thing, get one answer back. In reality, there are always subsidiary questions around that information you get. If it's in DNSSEC, then it's going to be the cryptographic signed components to validate it. But people kind of forget that behind the scenes, DNS does actually consist of entire zones of information. So ZoneMD isn't really aimed at you or me as consumers of DNS, is it? This is much more about provisioners of DNS as a service. Right. It's really designed for the part of DNS where zone data is replicated from primary name servers to secondary name servers or that sort of thing. It's not designed to be used in queries. It's really designed to be used only in that zone transfer process. So can you take me through the typical scenario where you would see ZoneMD being used? Sure. So 
the RFC that describes this sort of talks about the, the typical use case or the sort of um, the use case that started all this was really the root zone. And the reason that it's the root zone is because the root zone is, A, it's sort of the apex of the DNS, but it's also very highly distributed on lots of servers among lots of different operators. There's somewhere either just shy of or over 1,200 of these now in the community of the root server operators, the 13 critical letters. There's a really quite high number of Anycast instances, but it actually goes beyond that, doesn't it? Because the file, the zone file that is the root is made available publicly. Anyone can fetch this and can have a copy of this locally and serve it from within their own resolver infrastructure. Right, exactly. So there's 12 root server operators, there's, I think it's 1,500, 1,600 Anycast instances now. And even at a single Anycast instance, there might be even multiple backend servers. So there's many, many servers. And as you said, there is more and more interest in people using the root zone locally outside of the traditional root server system. It's a way of saying, I've got the whole of the zone. And that gets into some quite interesting questions. I mean, why can't you just trust that fetching the zone is the whole state of the zone? It's got a serial number on it. So what is this thing giving us as value add on top? Right. So when we were going through this standardization process, there were sort of two common reasons that that people had why this wasn't necessary. One was that you could just trust the existing processes, whether it's the TSIG, the transaction signatures, Or you could imagine that the data is transmitted over a secure channel, TLS, for example. Another argument was that we have DNSSEC, that the data is signed with DNSSEC, and so you could validate all those signatures. So they're sort of imperfect solutions to this problem, because taking the second one first, for DNSSEC, only some of the records have DNS signatures. A lot of the records in the root zone, for example, all the glue records do not have DNSSEC signatures, so they're not protected. The other solutions, the TSIG key and the TLS, those really only provide channel security. That security sort of goes away once the connection is taken down. It doesn't survive past the transfer. So you can imagine a zone gets transferred from one place to another. It's protected by TSIG or whatever. But then maybe there is some way that the data gets corrupted or modified on disk and so on. And you don't have that TSIG protection anymore. Channel security is ephemeral. It's about the proof of validity of the material that you're receiving between the party who gave it to you and yourself. And as you say, it isn't there after you finish getting the whole thing. So I think I absolutely get that one. The additional fact that you're now routinely perhaps getting a zone through an intermediary or a third party or off disk where there's potential for it to be changed. That's the other part of this story that says, well, you really depend on something integrally about the zone to check that it's valid. When you were talking about DNSSEC, what I was thinking was, I have to compute against those checksums that are buried inside the DNSSEC signatures for every single atomic record that it covers. There's actually quite a lot of work to do to validate the entire state of a zone purely from DNSSEC, isn't there? Yeah, that would be another argument would be the amount of work. So validating some thousands of signatures maybe is more burdensome than doing it just once over the whole zone. Yeah. So there's the start of authority record that contains a serial and 
it suggests strongly that a zone message digest is in some ways tied really very strongly to that serial. It's a statement of the condition of the zone at a given point in time for a given serial of the zone. It is. So the zone MD record, if you looked at the fields of that record, the first field is actually the serial number of the SOA record. So part of the validation of the zone MD is you have to verify that the zone MD serial matches the SOA serial. If those don't match, then something's gone wrong and whoever produced the record or maybe transmitted the zone made a mistake. When you compute a checksum against the file, you're checking that every single byte of that file in sequence, computing under the algorithm of the checksum, derives the same value. But when you consider the state of the DNS, DNS is slightly mutable across what the thing is there. So if I ask for wessels.com, some imaginary zone, DNS doesn't actually care if it's upper or lower case when I ask that question. And that means for DNSSEC, you actually have to have some concept of what is considered the canonical way of representing wessels.com to compute the DNS checksum. So is the same mechanism being used to compute the zone MD? Yes. So this was one of the critical aspects of the zone MD protocol is that everyone who either calculates the digest or verifies the digest has to agree on exactly what goes into the hash function. ZoneMD reuses DNSSEC canonicalization, as you said, both for, for the names, the owner names, and the other fields, the sorting order of the records. ZoneMD borrows heavily from DNSSEC to make that possible. But that also means that the computation of ZoneMD and the check of ZoneMD can leverage code that quite a lot of DNS infrastructure already has. Because if you're doing signature checking and zone checking and constructing signatures, you had to have logic to do this work. So in some sense, that's actually maximal efficiency. It's really making use of technology we understand. That's right. Yep. Vision has always been that zone MD should sort of fit in nicely to the signing process. When you sign a whole zone, you have to sort it, you have to canonicalize all the records. And since you're doing that for for the signing process, it's, it's just a little bit extra to calculate the zone MD digest at the same time. So the last part of this magic that always confuses me is that if you have something like a checksum as part of the body of data you're sending, there's a horrible moment. You can't calculate the checksum over the value of the checksum itself, can you? So zone MD is about the state of all of the zone, excluding most of itself. That's right. Yep, that was a tricky part. When you calculate the digest over the zone data, you have to exclude any zone MD records, well, I should say any Apex zone MD records and their signatures. And so the last step of doing all this is that after you have the digest calculated, then you sort of put that into the zone MD record in the zone, and then you calculate the signature over that uh, zone MD record if, if it's a signed zone. But one of the forms of proof of existence in DNSSEC is the, the NSEC3 mechanism that actually declares records exist or declare that they don't exist, authenticated denial. So you kind of need to have half a zone MD record present in name form in order for DNSSEC to calculate that it is going to exist so that it can be bound into the chain of all the records in the zone. Yes. So in, in the RFC, we have this recipe that sort of goes through this, and it talks about having a placeholder record. You have a placeholder zone MD record with certain fields set, and that's really important, as you said, for the 
for the NSEC denial of existence fields. Yeah. Now, it hasn't gone to air yet on Ping, but we're going to be doing an episode with Christian Wietemar, who's talking about activity he's been doing for a number of years, looking at the efficiency of the standards development organization, the SDO process. And I said at the start of this episode of Ping, a recent RFC. <laughs> right. But the thing is, Dwayne, it's not that recent, is it? It's not really that recent, no. So, you know, I can talk a little bit about how this all sort of came to be. It's been probably 10 years or so that I've been thinking about something like this. 10 um, years. Yeah. At Verisign, we sometimes have what we call tabletop exercises with some partner orgs and whatnot. And so I think it was 2013 where we were having an exercise like this with, with ICANN and even NTIA at the time. And we were doing various what-if scenarios. And one of the scenarios was, what if in the root zone, the data had been modified sometime between the point of publication and the point of consumption by root servers? How would you be able to detect that? And for me, that was sort of the genesis to begin working on this. But I have to say, even though I did at the time sort of put together an outline in an internet draft form, I didn't do anything about it for the next three years. <laughs> and sort of sat there for a long time, not getting any attention. Until the formalism with IETF working groups here is that people can actually float ideas pretty much at will. The point of process induction is when a working group decides that they're going to adopt it. So you have a, an outside of IETF exercise, which is like a bootstrap that gives you reason to think this could actually mechanistically be valuable in the provisioning side. So then you bring something to the table as a draft. Was that like an individual draft you authored and put out there? Well, in this case, what happened was, like I said, like this was back in 2013, it was sort of just kind of notes to myself. I didn't submit internet draft at that time. It was yeah. just an outline. And sort of next triggering event was, I think we were at a, a meeting of the roots of our operators and people had started talking about the desire to distribute the root zone more widely. In my kind of circles, they call it hyperlocal root. And that reminded me, hey, there was this thing that I was going to work on before. And that's sort of the point where I got together some co-authors, a couple of Verisign co-authors, and a couple of folks from the ITF community, uh, Warren Kamari, Wes Hardiker, and then my Verisign co-authors, Matt Weinberg and Pete Barber. We decided, hey, let's put some more words to this. Let's get it done. And yeah, at that point, it was individual internet draft submission, even though it was a group of us. Yeah. But it hadn't achieved working group adoption. I think I actually remember a presentation on this, and there was a rather weird dynamic about how the DNS working group felt about this. There were a bunch of people who were kind of, eh, what do I know? And there were a bunch of people who were totally in the consumer side who were going, but I will never use this. Another RR? Why do I care for another RR type? And there were the people who were in the provisioning side going, yeah, I think I could use this. Indeed. But what's also interesting is that, as is often the case, if you think you have a good idea, someone else had that idea before you. <laughs> and the idea of something like this was actually first written down in an RFC number 2065 from 1997, where it described what they call an AXFR signature. So this is really just that idea sort of taken to completion. For those who don't know the mechanisms inside DNS, AXFR is a form of DNS message that says, give me the whole of the zone over DNS protocol. There's also I 
XFR, which is the incremental update mechanism, a lot more complicated. But the idea here is DNS isn't just about serving the answers to questions where people are trying to get full domain names and values from them. It actually has inside itself mechanisms to fetch and manage the zone. And this is a fetch side mechanism. AXFR is entire zone transfer. Right. As I said, we started putting out internet draft revisions and getting feedback from the working group. And and as you said, some folks thought that this wasn't necessary or that it was too complicated or whatever. But after 15 separate revisions to the draft over about three years, we finally got to the point where it could be considered an RFC. So that three-year extent is quite interesting in the context of the conversation I've had with Christian, because three years kind of feels like a long time to me, but in internet terms, kind of dog life years, three years isn't bad. We're actually on par at three years for getting an idea floated, discussed, and completed. And going through 15 revisions over three years is actually quite an active degree of engagement. In some ways, this wasn't a bad lifetime for an idea to come to fruition in the IETF. Yeah, I don't think so either. It's pretty similar to other internet drafts and RFCs that I've been involved in. This is pretty common. It does take this amount of time and about this number of revisions, yeah. Hyperlocal route and the idea of serving route locally is also something that has come and gone as a discussion point inside the working group. Some of the interest in this goes to ideas of privacy and preventing leakage of knowledge around DNS query process. And there were also some concerns about aspects of the whole process management. How did this actually fit with ICANN and ICANN policy around distribution of the root zone? So yeah, the IETF has uh, now two RFCs, one updated the other, which are about serving zone data locally or serving the root zone data locally. Hyperlocal root is kind of an ICANN term, an ICANN terminology. And what we found was after we'd finished the RFC process and and gotten something standardized, and then the next step is to say, well, okay, how can we actually get this deployed into the root zone? Whose permission do we need? Who do we need to talk to and get input from? All that work for OzoneMD took place in the root zone evolution review committee, which I'm a member of. So this is. I mean, when you think about a normal label, the decision to include a label in a zone is a conversation between the zone delegate and the person who has a belief in need of that label existing. And it goes to registrar registry processes that are about visible names for end outcomes to be achieved. This is a little piece of meta behavior. It's a field that nobody outside of the closed circuit of operators or administrators of the zone really has a an interest in, but you need to get permission to include it in the zone. And it has process steps that kind of come back to VeriSign as an implementer of service to the zone delegate. This was going to wind up meaning VeriSign actually had to do work constructing the state of the zone. Yes, we did have to do that work and that work is done. Sort of the interesting bits that the RZERC discussed, there were sort of two. One was the fact that, as you said, this is a new record for the root zone, right? So the root zone mostly has NS record and A records, and we are proposing to add a new record type to the root zone, which is something that hasn't happened for a very long time, probably since the introduction of quad A records. 
So we have to make sure that everyone's software can process this new record type and won't fall over just because it, it shows up. The other interesting aspect was now that we are adding a validation mechanism to the root zone, you know, people start to wonder, well, so what should happen or what do we expect to happen if the validation fails? What should a root server operator or another consumer of the zone do if they get a, a verification failure? It's potential for a class of denial of service attack here, because if you simplistically just refuse to upstate, update your view of the root, then what you're doing is you're holding a prior state, which in itself might be incorrect, or you're having information occluded from you if you continue to distribute that. Plus, DNSSEC signatures have lifetimes. So if this happens across a boundary where signature lifetimes are going to go, that's not good. Right. So it requires a lot of careful thought and planning and coordination with all the parties to make sure everyone's on the same page about how this is going to go. And one of the important milestones for getting this deployed to the root zone was getting sort of agreement from the root server operators that for the first year after the zone MD record appears, for the first year, they're not going to make any automated decisions based on the validation status, right? So we're going to use that year as sort of a, a learning and testing phase to sort of double check the process, but not to automatically reject any zones during that time. So we might come back to that. I mean, after all, this is a measurement podcast series, and that goes to some interesting questions about what will happen in deployment. But before we get there, things like this actually demand other people to write code in their system. So VeriSign has developed an in-house system for production of this. What's been going on in the validation side in terms of code? Yeah, so there's quite a few implementations of ZoneMD at this point. Initially, when we were going through the standardization process in the ITF, there were about three validators. There was one that we, as authors of the protocol, had written kind of our reference implementation, if you will. There was another one by our friend Shane Kerr. He wrote his code at a uh, ITF hackathon. And then our colleagues from Nick Chile actually are also kind of excited about ZoneMD, and they, they built it into their tooling that they write for their services. Now. Following that, later on, ZoneMD was implemented in sort of open source software like Unbound, NSD, Knot, and, and PowerDNS. There's actually quite a few implementations at this point. So it's quite widely distributed. And mentioning Nick Chile there, it does actually stand to make the point ZoneMD is primarily of interest because of distribution of the root and propagation of the root into hyperlocal and and other purposes. But this is not actually a service that is really only specific to the root, is it? It is potentially usable by any domain. It is, and the chilezone.cl already has a zone MD record, which you can find by querying for it. And so they are already using this technique. As far as I know, they're the, the first uh, top-level domain to do so. There may be other less high-profile or lower-profile domains that are using it, but I'm not aware of them. So one of the aspects of calculating something like this is that for absolutely massive zones, zones like .com or .net, it might actually, in the current state, not be computationally feasible to publish this record. That's true. For large or highly dynamic zones, the zone MD calculation, as currently defined, is impractical. So the RFC talks about this, that it should really only be used on zones that are smallish or medium-sized and relatively stable, because in order to calculate it, you do have to load the whole zone into memory, sort it, and, and that sort of thing. And it can be a, a 
quite a bit for a, for a CPU to do. <laughs> but you've actually designed this mechanism with an idea to future extensibility. So we're using a mechanistic form of zone message digest that suits that view of a digest process. If somebody invents an incremental signing model, there's potential to modify the values inside the record to take account of that in future. That's right. The ZoneMD record has a field which is called the scheme. And so there's currently only one scheme defined, which is basically, as we've said, you sort of go over the whole zone. But uh, it's possible that there will be a future scheme which supports incremental calculations. And I've actually got proof of concept working. It does that already. I think it's nifty and efficient. That hasn't been brought to the ITF yet. We're sort of waiting to get some of this other stuff checked off first. I think the RFC said that you've tested up to about 300,000 labels of different kinds in a zone. It's around two and a half seconds in the technology you were using at the time Yeah, yeah. to I, do that calculation. I gave a presentation at DNSOR that had some benchmarking and graphs, and I forget the exact numbers off the top of my head, but I, the, the largest zone that I was able to test was the .NET zone. And I think it took on the order of a few minutes to do that zone. But um, so yeah, there are lots of other zones out there, <laughs> probably more zones to which ZoneMD would be applicable than not, right? It's only the really, really large ones. This doesn't work. Yes, I'm thinking of the reverse zones, the inadra.arpa and the ip6.arpa zones. These are absolutely deterministically inf- known infrastructural zones. It would be really logistically simple to think about adding this so people could do distribution of that material. Those kinds of structural zones that don't have high degrees of variance, it really shouldn't be a problem to calculate this. Yeah, yeah. So deployment. You said that the initial deployment state here is an intention to have a record, but for the parties who are in the process of publishing that information, not to actively use it to determine a decision to deploy a given zone state. So it's kind of the initial passive state, don't use this so we can understand how the thing works. When are we actually kicking that process off? So the plan currently is that we will, VeriSign will introduce the ZoneMD record uh, later this year on September 13th. That's our target date. At that time, the root zone will have a zone MD record, but it will be unverifiable. We're using a um, code point for the hash algorithm from the uh, private use space. So any implementation that validates this would not be able to validate the zone MD record. So it's kind of like an analog of the DERS state of DNSSEC deployment put the record type out there, perform the functional aspects of making this, give it a value that nobody can validate, so it's impossible to test its validity, but equally it's impossible to make a mistake because it's unvalidatable. Right, yeah. Right. So for that initial phase, just the presence of the record doesn't cause any problems, regardless of its value, its validation state. So it's kind of hard sometimes to see ways that the record type could cause a problem. And I think that's because we all tend to see the zone in its presentation format. It's literally a file of text on disk that people can see. But when you translate an object that's specified in some presentation format into its actual in-memory structure, it changes. It goes from its representation as text into its binary form. And if you introduce new resource record types, that's new binary encodings and it's new binary labels. 
I hesitate to say that there is automatically a problem there, but the potential is there. Somebody's code has to actually intuit that format and represent it into memory in binary. It is actually work. So this is a necessary stage to prove people can serve this, this data validly. Yeah, and so within the root server system, the zone is distributed almost entirely in its binary format. And so once it's in that binary format, there really are no concerns about other systems receiving it. You know, that's a well-understood environment. The concern really is that the root zone is also published on web servers and FTP servers like ftp.internic.net. And if you get it there, then as you said, it's in this presentation format. And anyone who may be sort of relying on that service and reading the zone or parsing the root zone will need to be aware, you know, need to know how to parse the zone MD record format, or they might get an error. And that introduces this problem. That's essentially an unbounded set. We don't actively police or know every single person who is reading these public information sources. So there's a kind of a question mark there. Is there any understanding of how that's going to be looked at? Or is it really waiting to hear back people complaining that they've had problems with their code? Where do you get a positive signal? No real problem exists here. Yeah, this is one of those tricky situations where, as you said, there's no know who the consumers are ahead of time. There's no way to contact them or to test with them. So it is going to be relying on problem reports. And the success will be there were no problem reports, I guess. <laughs> In hypothesis, you could ask for this record as an atomic DNS query, couldn't you? You can. Yes, that should work. Yes. So there is potential for a validator to ask for a state of the zone with a given serial and ask for the zone MD and check that the SOA serial referenced in the zone MD matches, but they then have, in some senses, evidence they were using it. So if you only look at taking the zone passively out of band, you don't have a strong sense people are using zone MD. If you actually see people fetching it, it does suggest they've implemented some technique that expects to ask for it. Well, it would only make sense to query, to send an individual query for zone MD record if you sort of already had the zone and uh, did your own calculation, I guess. I think that the use case for for sending zone MD queries is not well-defined, or uh, I don't know how people would use that. I think it's really only useful for the zone transfer case or loading from disk or something like that. So we have the lucky people who will be the recipients of Notify about zones. They are going to be in the position of being told the zone has changed. Everyone else is in a more passive relationship asking what is the current state of the zone, such as fetching SOA serial or waiting for a timeout cycle against cache state and making a decision I think I need to refresh my state of the zone. And that might be in-band or out-of-band. Going back to something said earlier in this conversation, nothing about this implies that you aren't using an in-channel protected mechanism like TLS over the DNS conversation. It's really immaterial. And so how you fetch the zone isn't specified here. The fact is you're fetching the zone. Yeah. So when do we enter a state where the community is actively promoted to 
actually look at this value and intuit meaning against the state of the zone? When is that coming? The initial deployment would be on September 13th with the, uh, in the un- unvalidatable state. On December 6th is the target date for publishing the ZoneMD record with the SHA-3 to 4 hash, and then it becomes validatable by a consumer. Is the initial publication state only going to go with a single zone hash? Because in the RFC, you discuss the utility of actually doing multiple hashes. Yeah, so the RFC supports uh, multiple digest types. The only reason for doing that should be if you're doing an algorithm rollover. We sort of want to discourage the normal state of publishing two different digest algorithms at the same time, as has been common with DS records, for example. For ZoneMD, we kind of encouraged only one algorithm at a time. And in the root zone, we're only going to be using SHA-384 for the foreseeable future. And it's kind of at that point, nothing happened. I mean, the whole point of this technology is not to actually have a make a splash moment where there's a significant change in the dynamics of DNS. This one is kind of sailing under the radar a little bit. Yes, that is certainly the intention. There will be, I think, many, many parties, including ourselves, checking the digests as they come out of the system, as they show up on on the root servers and whatnot. We expect to have a lot of people looking at this, checking our work, and making sure that there are no problems. But we're not looking at there being a registry of zones which are covered with zone MD. It's kind of an at-will activity, isn't it? So getting some sense of how many zones are doing it, well, that's actually either a sample or a collect question, going out there and looking in zones to find existence of zone MD, because it won't reflect up into a parent zone, will it? It would not reflect up, yeah. You would have to do some active measurements, some probing to survey its adoption. I think that would be an interesting very interesting project for someone. I think also in parallel, trying to understand the surface of the resolver community to see if we can intuit places which are doing entire root zone fetch and doing local root zone serve, the extent to which we see behaviors here might it might play to some of this. To my mind, zone MD actually increases trust in the state of the zone. So that I'd expect some messaging to say, if you have DNSSEC validation capability and if you implement checks on zone MD, then you can actually have really high assurance the state of a zone you're fetching to serve locally absolutely is the state that was published. Yep, absolutely. And not only for the, the hyperlocal route or hyperlocal whatever case, but even for cases where you may be a zone owner and you've outsourced your resolution to a number of managed DNS providers or, or whatever providers. And um, all of those can have greater assurance that they're getting the, the data that was originally published. Very interesting, Dwayne. I think this is going to really make a difference to trust and integrity of the state of zone serving. Thank you for coming on and talking to us about this. Thank you, George. It's been a pleasure. Looking forward to the next one. If you've got a story or research to share here on Ping, why not get in contact by email to ping at apnic.net or via the APNIC social media channels. Also, remember the measurement at apnic.net mailing list on Orbit is there to discuss and share relevant collaborative opportunities, grants and funding opportunities, jobs, and graduate placings, or 
to seek feedback from the community on your own measurement projects. Be sure to check out the APNIC website for all your resource and community needs. Until next time.